everybody cannot be the quarterback. No, no. We can do a play. We can do a play where I pass it to you and you then go, but I am still the quarterback, right? Like we can't all be the quarterback. And that is not DEI. Hey, we are in another episode of the Living Out Loud discussion series. And today we are talking about white executives leading from a distance. I am your host, Charmaine Nuts, relational DI expert. If you are new here, we are unpacking real life scenarios and issues that come up in our interactions with each other in professional settings or in areas where we feel like we need to be buttoned up. The goal of every single episode is to reveal the layers and the nuances in all of our interactions so that we can learn about them as a community that cares about diversity, equity, and inclusion. As always, the thoughts, views, opinions that are shared in today's discussion, they are my own and not as a representative of any of the agencies that I work for or am contracted by. Okay, thank you so much for being here, Dr. Wendy Ashley. It is an absolute pleasure. I already know that this is going to be quite an engaging and, I imagine, hilarious discussion. I met you very briefly, honestly, at Dominguez Hills. You were the chair there. You did some really cool work. And while it was a short interaction between us, I felt like you have an energy, you have a lot of knowledge, the way that you connect with people was really cool. And then in our network, I heard a lot about you and the work that you were doing. So when we connected to talk about this episode, then I really was thinking to myself, okay, this is a person that I can learn from that I want to talk to. So thank you for being here in this space. I really appreciate you. Oh, thank you so much. I'm super excited to be here. Yes. Now, would you mind just sharing any parts of who you are? Just, I don't know, expertise, anything you want to share? <laughs> that, that could be long, but, but I'll be brief. I am a professor. I'm also the department chair now at CSUN. I've been at CSUN. I took a little leave with, and I was at Dominguez for a year, but I've been at CSUN for 16 years. I also have a private practice, which the focus of which is anti-racist, trauma-informed, intersectionally focused therapy. And the other sort of superpower that I have is that I do justice, equity, anti-racist, diversity, and inclusion organizational trainings. So I do that sort of on a multi-layered approach. I do that with for staff trainings. I do that for leadership training. And I do that for organizational climate change. And that is something, that part is relatively new on my, on my list of things. But I've been a social worker for 27 years. Ooh, I'm old school. I've been in the field for a minute. <laughs> <laughs> you definitely have been in all of the places. And just when you do share, when you share your experience, you can tell that you've been in a lot of different areas because your lens extends to different places. So to be in like higher ed, to be in leadership spaces, to be in the clinical space, that clinical space is so helpful in those areas. I think more helpful than has been publicly acknowledged. Yet, to me, I feel like DI work, this type of justice-oriented, anti-racist work, hasn't quite made the space for the importance of the clinical aspects. I can hear in whenever you're mm. talking, that mm. piece shine through. I love you so much right now. So it, it, it's, it's funny because it, academically, 
there has never been a welcome mat for me, right? Like I am in academia, I'm a unicorn. Most people who come to academia come through, they directly go to school and then they go, then they start teaching. And so their teaching doesn't include practice experience. And in social work, that's a not, that's a nightmare because a a big (laughs) part of what we do has to do with practice experience. But, but So you're right. The clinical piece, especially in 2023, right, when we're talking about (laughs) DEI stuff and a big part of how you teach that has to do with how you model it. And so what is interesting about this conversation in my experience as well is that in my role as department chairs and in my role in DEI, what I have realized is that my ability to conceptualize what's going on, my ability to assess and identify what it is often has to do with things that are less tangible, like psychological safety or trauma reactivity. And those are things that I would never know if I took a traditional leadership perspective or I took a a route that was just DEI focused or I was strictly academic. So you're right. The clinical makes me a different kind of leader and a different kind of practitioner and a different kind of social worker. And and I think I appreciate you saying that because there isn't a lot of acknowledgement for that particular skill set. Yes. Yes. And I say it because I am a unicorn, too. I've been See referred you. to as that. Yeah, I don't know how I felt about it at first, but it, it, it's a good thing. It's a good thing. I feel like the clinical aspect of what I do is on top of everything else. It is what I lead with and, and the ways that we can see what's happening, lean into, support people through stuff is heavily clinical. And when approached from the head place all the time... It's just really hard to help people through things. It really Agreed. is. Yeah. I, I will say this, though. It's taken me, I'm a little a little older, and it's taken me the last couple decades to learn how to identify my role before I start using the skills, right? Mm-hmm. So if I'm, if I'm teaching or if I'm in my role as a professor or an administrator, I'm a social work educator. And so that means that the clinical informs my decision-making, but it can't guide, like it can't necessarily guide my intervention. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Or if I am doing a DEI organizational training, the clinical informs how I respond, but it doesn't guide it. I can't do clinical interventions when I'm not being a clinician. And so that mm-hmm. has taken me a really long time to learn my lane about that because I was burning myself out, which I think is a hugely important element. We could do a whole podcast on that because burnout is a big is a big piece that we have to be cautious about. Yes. That could be its own episode, and maybe it will, because I already have my own thoughts. I'm like, and then this, but I'll stop. Like, it's fine. We said a lot on it. That's okay. I do, though, think, and we didn't talk about this, so you tell me if if you don't even want to do this. One of the things that you and I talked about as well that impacts and informs how we show up, especially in this leadership space, is the fact that we are white and Black, and how... How we grew up this way, but also maybe our understanding of what people are experiencing and speaking to in a particular way, the privilege that comes with having this skin tone and being able to get further into places. I wonder if there's any room for that as context setting for how we're seeing this conversation. A hundred percent. I mean, I think that to be somebody who has biracial heritage inherently puts you in a liminal position. 
right? And liminal positions in and of themselves are uncomfortable. They're between. So we don't have a monoracial experience. We don't know what it's like to just be white. We don't know what it's like to just be black. And, and I think that that's a benefit. Yeah. There is something about the nuances mm -hmm. of understanding just all of the the uncomfortable gray liminal areas that, that I think this this is what DEI is about. This is how we unpack and make sense of it. I, I Listen, one of the things I know as a clinician is that when people are afraid and they're uncomfortable, they start polarizing, right? Everything is all or nothing. It's, it's, it's yes, no, it's black, white, it's all the things. And and that's a common reaction. But but to be someone who understands from a lived experience what it's like to always be in a liminal space, that makes it easier for me to be able to step in and unpack. I speak. I, am, am I completely anything? No. But but do I code switch? Absolutely. Can I can I? Can I hang out with a group of black people and feel comfortable? Absolutely. Can I hang out with a bunch of white women and feel comfortable? For the most part. Um, but, but I have that capacity to shape shift in a way that isn't just code switching. It's shape shifting. And I think that's oh. different. Ooh. Oh, oh. All right, true blood. All right, true oh, blood. Let's bring goodness. some shifting in. Oh my goodness. <laughs> I have not heard that, but I felt it when you said it. I felt it. Wow. Real. Okay. I don't it's even real. know if I can unpack that right now. I just. Now nah, you can't. <laughs> ah, it's deep though, right? Uh, I spent hours on this. <laughs> yes. 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 Okay. All right. Another episode that will be. <laughs> I can just see myself literally going into places just doing what you said. And then That's also. Real though, right? Did you felt yeah. it? Didn't you? Oh, yeah. 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 Yes. 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 It's. Uh, to me, what you just described is this thing that I do, and the only thing that I do that is that I'm aware of that's attached to that is I have to pay so much to my internalized oppression. The things that I do to be in spaces to help people to grow my I just have to pay attention to it. So when you said shape shift, it was almost like my shape was shifting, and then my what I am aware of is this internalized oppression that I have to what are you doing? Why are you doing it? And it's a lot to do in a moment, especially when you're serving other people, because you have to be aware of self and then others. So you just gave me another thing to sit with and consider. And I will do that soon, or we will do this in another episode. So we have to table now two things to come back on and talk about. Fair. I, I, yes. I will say this about the shape shift too. I think that, and then we can be done, I promise. The thing That's about the shape shift is that you, when you are shifting shapes, right, you got to be thoughtful about, are you, uh, is your accommodation to the other or is your accommodation to self, right? So if I were to shape shift into a wolf, am I, am I about what it means to be a wolf? And obviously this is an exaggeration yes. or am I, or am I, but not really, or am I, or am I accommodating to what, what my prey is? Am I trying to kill you? You yeah. see what I'm saying? So like, yeah. how am I acclimating? Am I acclimating based on what's externally motivating? Cause that's a big deal. Mm -hmm. Or is it about, and I think it takes a really long time for people of multiracial heritage to be able to learn how to ground that according to who I am and not mm -hmm. what's externally motivated, which is, again, mm -hmm. in and of itself, a whole conversation. Yes, yes. And, and just for my lens, even for setting up in this conversation, when I train or coach people, I openly acknowledge the way that I was raised in 
I don't think that the people who raised me would agree with this. So just keep this in mind. But it is my experience that I was raised to be racist and homophobic and ageist and and many other isms. I really was. And I had to, I got to a point, and this happened in the Dominguez Hills programs because of CRT. I got to the point where I had to look at things and unpack them. And there's a lot about the white experience in having to address self that I had to actually do. I had to do that. I was doing things to other people. I was doing things to myself. So I actually understand the work that I'm asking people to do because I had to do it. And it doesn't feel good, but I get it. So at times I speak to it from, I really, really get that. I know it so well. Here's what you're likely experiencing. And here's some ways through it instead of you need to do it. So I will, in the name of helping people, if I decide and have the time and energy, enter into that space of, I'm that too. I've done that too. I still have to pay attention. I still do. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's, I think that that was still on topic. I think it was a nice intro. A lovely segue. (laughs) Okay. So when we say, White executives are leading from a distance. Like, what are we actually saying? Well, what we're talking about. So, my, my favorite metaphor for this is the quarterback. And and I said this to you before, but I, my, the way I define this is that I call this type of leadership quarterbacks who don't want to be quarterbacks. I mean that because I don't know if how many of people who are seeing this are uh, watch football or understand football. <laughs> But but football, the quarterback is the is the is the star, right? The quarterback is the leader of the offense. The quarterback calls plays. The quarterback handles the ball more than anybody, and the quarterback is really responsible for forward movement, which leads towards scoring. Okay, that's what the quarterback does. And so when we're talking about white leadership, that or folks that who that don't want a quarterback this is or distance related this is somebody who is in the game on the field and refusing to touch the ball (laughs) and 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 we want to contextualize right because these are not people who are who are uninterested or who are who are not committed these these are the folks that robin d'angelo talked about in her book white fragility these are folks who are liberal and conscious and well-intentioned and who care about justice, equity, diversity, inclusion. But but these are people who, when they get uncomfortable and when they get activated, they disappear and disconnect. And, and so everyone's like, where's the quarterback? What what are we doing? And, and there's a there's a feeling of for a lot of folks who are who are on the field as well, they feel betrayed, they feel abandoned, they feel alone. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. When you shared that analogy, it, it cracked me up. It was so funny. And because it's, it's a really cool way to think about it. And it's a very real thing I see too. And, and I just frame it as there's just, a, there's this avoidance of power. Yes. Just really, for some reason, I get it. Power could not be used for good things. It's really not in a lot of places. And that's its own series, if you will. But power doesn't have to be this thing that people are afraid of or don't need to be associated with people could use power responsibly but right now there's just this avoidance i want to share yes. power sharing power is great but but also you can't disregard Mm-mm. the power that you hold too 
So there's also this, well, with the power I have, I want to share it so other people, so all of us are quarterbacks. And and I think that they're, I don't know all the football analogies, so I'm not going to even Everybody can't be the quarterback. Everybody cannot <laughs> be the quarterback. No, no. We can do a play. We can do a play where I pass it to you and you then go, but I am yeah. still the quarterback, right? Like we can't all be the quarterback. And that is not DEI. That is not DEI to make it. Let's all play. Let's all. And that's like saying, let me see, don't let me get started. I'm going to start talking about everybody getting trophies and everybody don't need to get a trophy. I, I, let me not go into that. But but everybody can be the quarterback. But but to yeah. your point, a piece of it is avoiding power. But I actually think of it as immobilization. These mm-hmm. are folks that when they get uncomfortable, they there there is avoidance, right? There is conflict avoidance. There is there is immobilization. And typically the immobilization, this often happens around decision making. So I need to make a decision. Something has happened. I feel reactive. Other people feel reactive. I don't want to upset them. I don't want to say the wrong thing. I don't want to make it worse. And so that that feeling, that fear, that discomfort causes a level of immobilization and avoidance. And so what people do is they retreat. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And, and it often looks like mm-hmm. them letting other people make decisions. It looks like, like, why aren't they responding? What are mm-hmm. they doing? And, and the, the, especially the people of color around are like, what are you doing? <laughs> what are you doing? Why, where are you going? We need you right now. That's, and and yeah. it, it's, 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 it's a very clear absence. Yes. Yes, I, I know we're, ta- we're, we're talking as behaviorally specific, I think, as we can. But I have found that being specific about the behaviors helps people pinpoint. Because sometimes we'll say, we'll say avoidance of power and we'll say you're not quarterbacking. And that makes a lot of sense. That makes a lot of sense to me. I feel like I know exactly what you're talking about. And then there are people who don't grasp that nuancedness of it. So I'm wondering if even if there are some like very tangible things for people who are wondering, I'm a well-intentioned white executive, and we probably will get into this because these aren't just behaviors of white executives, but these are like very strong in them. But what are these behaviors that we see that are exhibited that can help somebody tune in like, all right, even though I have good intentions, I be doing those things. This comes up. And again, it can come up in a number of ways, but but the behaviors are frequently where a leader will get extremely activated, right? Whether it's a, a holiday, a, a culturally specific heritage holiday, or right now is a really great time because folks are super activated by what's happening on the other side of the world right now, right? Yeah. And so do we as an organization make a statement how do we navigate? We, we as an organization have, have made this statement, but, but three managers have said this, or certain people in the company are not wanting to go to supervision because it's, they're protesting. Like, how do we handle this? What happens is instead, and listen, I am a fan of, of a leader pausing. I am a fan of a leader saying, I'm not going to respond right now because I need a minute. But but that that communication doesn't happen. And so there's an absence. So if people who are watching the leader don't see anything, they don't see a response. Mm. They don't see communication. They don't see acknowledgement. They don't see anything. That is the absence. Right. Mm. And it happens frequently. (laughs) 
It happens mm. frequently where, where there just isn't communication. Sometimes this will start from an email. Somebody says an, somebody sends an inflammatory email to everybody on the list, sir, and nothing, there's silence, right? There's silence. As a leader, leaders have to be really cautious about how they use their silence. Mm-hmm. It is okay to be silent, but recognize that in the absence of that, all these narratives are going to be formed. And you can't stop that, but what you can do is is you can shape them and you can support the direction in which they go. Mm-hmm. And so it, it it do you want more specific examples or is that helpful? Well, no. I'm not even looking for one particular thing. It's okay. more of because we're also modeling what it looks like to have an open conversation and just to see what's in there. Right. When you were talking, I was thinking about this is why it's important in order to do what you're saying, and by the way, I agree, you have to have an ability to be able to pause in self and understand what you're experiencing and what you need to then say it in a moment. Right. If you need to pause, then you would have to know, you'd have to have the ability to self-regulate and right. see, oh, I actually need to pause. And then I got to bring it back out to share with people. Right. Because know there's, there's... that you need that, right? Yes. yes. An awareness yes. that this is even an issue, right? And, yes. and I, I think it's funny. So yes. two things, right? One is that people of color deal with this all the time. This idea that, and it's not even an idea, but this lived experience that something is happening. Do I need, is there a threat? Do I, is this going to be like, am I going to be in danger? Like that, like that is something that people with white presentations and white bodies don't live the same way. They don't experience that the same way. So that always, that hypervigilance of always being on alert and having to regulate your nervous system. Because if I show that at my job, I'm not going to have a job because they're already afraid of me because I'm black. You see what I'm saying? So that dynamic of the masking and the code switching and the self, self-regulation, self it doesn't happen for them the same way. So when they yeah. feel it, they are immobilized. So you're right. That piece of this becomes important. Oh, that's what that is. I need to be aware of when I'm activated and I need to know what the steps are for how to, how to deal with that in my role as leader or also known as quarterback. I think the other thing is that it's so interesting as a, as a black woman in leadership, I am shocked. And there is something, there is something about anti-blackness that is built into that, right? We want someone that looks like us. We want representation. But when we get somebody, we're going to talk to you any kind of way because yeah, you're, you're black and it's okay. And there's that internalized stuff that you mm. talked about that mm. comes out towards black leaders. What is interesting mm. to me and th- that we could go on for seven hours about yes, that. But, th- girl, you, but just, you just knighted something in me. Go ahead. It's a real thing. But but what I was what I was going to say was that for white leaders, because there is there is and people think black women are strong. They can handle everything. I can say whatever I want. It's not going to hurt your feelings. I don't need to rescue you like all that. But 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 for white leaders, people are afraid of fragility. They they do watch the immobilization. They watch the conflict avoidance. And so they don't tell each other. And that's a big thing. So, so what you'll find with these leaders is that they have pods, they have cadres of folks around them who are like, uh oh, like they see it happening, but they don't say anything. And some yeah. of that is because they don't think the person can handle it. But the other is often because they benefit 
from the proximity and they benefit from the relationship. So they don't want to upset the person. They don't want to to change the balance. They are enjoying the benefits. There's some unconscious rewards, as Dr. Shirley better talked about it, unconscious uh, reward, psychological reward that allows them to, to stay afloat. Yeah. Yes. Completely agree. And I even want to add to that list of things. I just facilitated a conference workshop and it wasn't a presentation. It was a facilitated experiential situation where I basically had people in their feelings. And in that, there were a bunch of leaders. They all have their own experiences, but it was starting to be named. Well, I don't want people to know that I don't know. And I don't want, I don't want to know that you know that I don't know. Like, this is what people right. are saying. Right. And then I'm, and then my response to the group is, did you know that most people don't know? Most people have no idea. It's right. very normal. But if we don't say anything, there's no other experiences to then learn. It's okay right. to not know. There's this fear of being, one, I don't like actually feeling Stupid. like I don't know. And then two, other people know I don't know. I'm a leader. Right. I'm supposed to know everything. Leaders aren't supposed to know everything. And in right. this category, it is, to me, an expectation that leaders do not know everything. The request is to try stuff to learn, not right. to know it all. And I feel like that that fear of not wanting to be seen that way. And now that I'm talking, there's one more part of this where I've seen so much that leaders are afraid of, if leaders are to hold people accountable for for some of the behaviors that the organization is wanting to do differently. If the leader, a white leader, is the one that's expected to do that, there's this fear that if I do it as a white leader, then I am doing something wrong because it could be seen as racist. And so they don't lean into holding any boundaries, holding expectations that the whole right. organization is trying to set. It's that fear right. of, I'm going right. to be racist if I do it. Right. Not well, all things are going to be racist. So recognize that we live in a cancel culture. And, and if I say anything that makes anybody feel bad, then then I will be canceled. And, and so there is some there are some very and listen, there's a fine line between there's a huge gap between between racist and yeah. and the fact and your point earlier, which is that we all say and do racist. It's real. Yes, yes, yes. So there's, there's, you're right. There's room. Here's what I find interesting is that what people don't remember in this, and by the way, people of color who are leaders absolutely struggle with perfectionism, right? Because this idea is that we have been told we have to be better. We have to go harder. We have to do all the things, but, but white folks are, are very afraid to make a mistake, to make, to perpetuate racism. I don't want to do, and you're right. So there's a lack of boundaries. There's a lack of clarity. There's a lack of all the things. And, and what was I going to say? I was going to say something important about that. Oh, one of the things that promotes psychological safety is a leader's ability to model fallibility. Okay. So leaders have to be able to say, I'm, I don't know this. I made a mistake. Does anybody else have ideas? If you don't do that, you don't create psychological safety in your team. So you can be a perfectionist all day long and you can avoid conflict. That is never going to create psychological safety, which will ultimately change the culture. Mm. Yes. I find myself having to temper just 
the 8,000 directions I want to go. <laughs> well, I'm going to stay right here. Okay. So we also talked about the, the good intentions. You spoke about that earlier. I just want to lean a little bit more into it and just talk about the fact that this is what we see. This is what's happening regardless of how much you care about people, right. how progressive you are, how much change you want. That right. is not the indicator of good behavior. Those are great things that you want in your heart. And while that's in your heart, there are behaviors to pay attention to. So can we talk about that in why yes. that is? <laughs> yes, yes. There, I think that there, there's a few things that speak to me almost immediately. One is, hmm, how do I want to start with this one? Okay, so one is that, the, and I want people who are white leaders to think about all of these things, building them into their, to their work. One of the things that white leaders are really good at learning how to do, and it relates to your earlier point about, am I saying the wrong thing? Or did I, I don't want to upset anybody, or I don't want to be racist. It, it, if you have learned to unpack diversity, if you have learned how to engage around intersectionality, first do it. Make sure that you build it into your work, right? Yes, and, and, yes, and at the same yes. time, while you are, so, so there should never be a meeting where you don't say, let's talk about, let's, let's just talk about the pieces that we, let's talk about the intersectional pieces of this. Let's make sure we talk about that. That needs to be built in. And, and a big part of intersectionality is unpacking whiteness. If you have not spoken the words, let's talk about unpacking whiteness, that is a huge piece of this because that is the thing nobody talks about ever, mm. ever. And, and mm. that means yes. paying attention to the influence of white supremacy. It means talking about the amount of white privilege. It means talking about white fragility, like all those pieces and, and, and right and modeling that it's okay to talk about that. So that, that's one piece of this. And I think that, that well-intentioned folk don't yes. build that in. <laughs> To, yes. to, to their, to their deals. That's, that's one that stands yeah. out to me. Yes. A second one is that we know what we know and we know what we don't know, right? That, that's, <laughs> that's where people go into it. There's a third category. We don't know what we don't know. Okay. So we know what we know. We know what we don't know. We don't know what we don't know. There is a huge category of that we're not even checking for because we don't even know it exists. Yeah. And so white leaders should be recognizing that the thing, there is another whole category of things that you are not even aware of because your privilege obscures them. Do you know that for years, I, I am have my relatives are Jewish. They're atheists too. So we don't like celebrate when I didn't get by mitzvah or anything, but yeah. I didn't even, I never, I celebrate all the Christian holidays. It never even occurred to me that other people, I work in a school and I never even considered that like certain people wouldn't be happy with the holidays that we were celebrating <laughs> because they didn't celebrate them. Why? Yeah. Because I don't know what I don't know. Yes. You know what I mean? Yes. That's yes. a real thing. Yes. Yes. And that has nothing to do yes. with intention, right? One of the, I, I really need to get a, like a, a tattoo right on my neck that intention doesn't equal impact, right? Yes. What you intend has nothing to do with how you, how you, how people receive you. Yes. Yes. Yeah. You're also modeling part of your own accountability. You know, and you just made me think just yesterday, just yesterday, I was talking to one of my colleagues who I graduated from the MSW program with. And she was just talking about first gen and we got all into the convo and I'm sitting there thinking, 
she was talking about intersectionality. I said, and nowhere in my mind had I ever considered first gen people, their experience, inclusive language around that. I was then I was like, hold on, inclusive language, the way that the world is talking about it right now, doesn't even include any of that, like at all. So I just said, mm-hmm. oh my goodness. I said, I care, but obviously not that much. It's just not on my radar. It's not my lived experience. <laughs> it's not something I said, and I'm working with students who are first gen. They're writing about it in their assignments. And I'm I'm asking them, what does this mean? You're not saying anything about it. But without me knowing or having it in me right. to care, I, I don't want to say care, but I'm saying care because there's something about yeah. me that's not risen to the level of let me take action that I have to own too. So there's that. But well, anywho, you, and, so. And, 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 but the, also there's an awareness that like you can't do it all. In a, in a faculty meeting a couple, a month ago, my faculty were, were on me because I did not acknowledge appropriately a, a heritage month. And, and so I, I said I was going to start to keep track of them. When I, when I took stock for what November, there's 12 things to acknowledge this month. There's Transgender Remembrance Day. There's Indigenous Peoples Day. There's like all of these things. There's National Home Health Day. And, and what I decided is that I'm not doing this. I'm not doing it. I'm not going to be the cultural concierge for all. Like I'm, that's, not, that's not the way in which I'm going to take action. And so to yes. your point, it, it's not all or nothing. Like I don't have to do everything or do nothing. Like I get to choose how and how I want to honor and acknowledge things. And I'm not participating in the oppression Olympics where if I do, if I include this person, it means I excluded this person or if I support this group. Right. And and white leaders need to understand that, that taking a stance of collaboration, taking a stance of acknowledgement doesn't mean doing it all and doing it all perfectly. It means figuring out how to do it as best as you can in a way that fits who you are. Right. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And when you when you get these extra pieces of a puzzle that you have and you don't even have all the pieces, it's so that's that's what it is to me. It's uh, it's like, oh, crap, didn't think about that. Let me put it in with the rest of the things and it'll it's going to do what it needs to do. And I completely agree about the oppression Olympics. I think a lot about that. In addition to cancel culture, there's this expectation of this. I don't know, prove to us with statements while also I have to keep in mind that we have also said that making statements is performative. So I personally don't want the way in which I take action to be my proof to people by saying words. I've been thinking a lot about different issues that exist, researching where I can take action as it makes sense. And those things aren't things that I'm going to be proving to people Right. that I'm doing. It's just, it's just not. Otherwise, that will be my job. My job will be, to right. be looking at what people care about and right. making the statements so I don't That's get, the shape you know. shifting, right? Shape shifting according to external stimuli and need. Not, mm-hmm. not, not that. That's, that's exactly it, right? Yes. That's exactly it. Yes. As opposed yes. to, as opposed to grounding and rooting to what you're about and who you're about, right? Yes. Yeah. Yes. So I want to, okay, we're talking about a lot oh, wait, of things. There was one more. There was one yes. more thing. There was one yes. more about the, about the well-intentioned. The other one was the, was, is one of my favorite things, which is the, is the concept of multiple truths. And I mm. think that that's something for, for white leaders and for those working with white leaders to be aware of is that we got to be careful of our own natural inclination to polarize people into good and bad. And then they become idealized or devalued. And that just goes nowhere good. And the reality is, is that bad people do good things and good people do 
bad things. And lots of really good people say and do incredibly racist things. And we just got to we just got to yes. know that it's in all of us and 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 that there's got to be room for acknowledgement of that, because otherwise we're so busy defending our honor that we miss an opportunity for connection and inclusion only exists where there's connection. Mm. Yes. Yes. I have a coach. Her name's Amy Sipolisticos, and she always talks about when people hear things that become so personalized, but what people are sharing, it, it's not it's not about your character. It's not your essence. We're not talking about that. We're talking about this thing you did, this this behavior you did. You're still the person you are and you did this thing. It's not a character assassination, right? Mm -hmm. You said something, you did something. Those mm -hmm. are the things that we can change. Those are the things we can work on. And I think yeah. that's important for, for yeah. white leadership as well, right? Because you can be as well-intentioned, you can still say things and you can still do things that impact people in a way that's harmful or hurtful. Yes. Yes. Okay. I want to, all of these things come to, to me in my mind, a very important place in the body because we can talk about this stuff, but what we're talking about is the information that we're learning and how people are dealing with it and having this awareness. And you had had some framing around like the nervous system. And I want to know if we can talk a little bit about that because it's a thing that everyone has and it's a part of why people are struggling to staying and stuff to do something with it. So you speak more on that nervous system part. So the nervous system is incredibly, I like to think of the nervous system like a car alarm, right? And the nervous system's job is to tell you when there's an intruder. But the problem is just like a car alarm, the random cat that gets on your car, right? Sets it off and you're like at 3 a.m. and your car alarm is going off or like somebody brushes up against it and it goes off. Depending on your lived experiences, depending on your history, your nervous system could be more or less. But the truth is that the point of the nervous system is to tell you when there is a threat, right? And, and so when something happens, whether it's racially motivated, whether it's conflict motivated, again, the, the level of sensitivity is based on where you come from, the nervous system sends out a warning. And typically the warning is to the sympathetic nervous system, right? The sympathetic nervous system, which, it, which responds. And, and for us, that can look like fight, that can look like flight, that can look like freeze, that can look like fawn, right? It can look a number of ways. And fawning is one we don't talk about as much. And mm -hmm. many yeah. people learn how to fawn. We take care of other people. You're so smart. You're so good. I understand you were well-intentioned. We do all of that at the expense of ourselves and recognize that these are survival skills to get that brontosaurus from eating us, whether we got to run, freeze like a tree, pet its little back. Like we do all the things to protect yeah. ourselves yes. from the threat. Yes. Um, what is interesting about this is that it is not limited to people of color, right? Everybody's nervous system reacts when there's a threat. And, and the key is to recognize that the worldview narrows. And so you are not, you don't even have access to your rational brain when your nervous system is activated because your nervous system is like warning, 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 warning. You don't have access to your yeah. brain. So your, to our, our conversation earlier that, that we have to recognize when we are activated because there is nothing that's going to come out of that that is not survival oriented. Mm -hmm. We have mm -hmm. a responsibility to soothe ourselves and self-regulate yes. so that we can continue to have access to our thinking brains so that we can make decisions. And this 
is where the value of the pause comes in. Yes. Yes. Okay. I love this. That was a lot. Sorry. (laughs) It's important because that when I describe the importance of self-regulating, I don't take the extra step to do all of what you're actually describing and what you're describing to me makes me want to be able to learn it so well that I can use my own words like you just did. But that is why self-regulating is important. Once you self-regulate, then you get to do a little different. So when you're using that, I don't know, you said brontosaurus, a dinosaur. I'm just going to go with that because what happens is without self-regulating, we associate things with that's the dinosaur. It's a monster. more often than not, when people, because I've had to help a lot of people self-regulate to practice to not hear a what's happening. It's, well, did you know that when you slowed down, all you felt was the ground shake and that's because someone threw a ball to you? It's not the dinosaur, but you felt the ground shake. You think dinosaur and then you're now responding to a dinosaur when someone threw a ball to you to play. And right. in our interactions, I see it so much where people are having They're engaging with each other. There's activation. And because it feels like something, immediately we're associating that person or the situation with a thing. And it's not always that thing. But we justify what you want to say, Zem? Yes, yes, yes. Go ahead. Let me me add to that because fair, fair. A lot of times it isn't a real dinosaur, right? It isn't. And it is. But sometimes it is. Yes. And, and, uh, yes. And, and, and because I think the other side of this is that right now, no one is OK. Mm. No one is OK. And, and, and but here's what I'll say, because let, let's just pretend that you and I have an, exchange, an interaction. Mm. And I say to you, I want to talk about your paperwork or I want to talk about I'm your boss and I want to talk about. Yes. And you're like and you're like, yeah. like you, 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 you become larger than life. You're <laughs> like a, a monster. And I'm like, what the hell? Like, I just <laughs> asked about your paperwork. This happens all the time. And 99% of the time, your reaction has nothing to do with or very little to do with me. Mm -hmm. Everybody is not okay already. And so Mm -hmm. there is something about being a leader in this time, recognizing part of the work in you self-soothing means, did I initiate? First of all, was this a monster at all? And if it was, how much of that has to do with me? And I just wanted to put that in there because I think that's a piece of it. Go ahead. Sorry. Yes, no, it is. The importance of knowing what it is and what it isn't. Because if you slow down and it is a dinosaur, okay, then you know what you can do with it. If it isn't a dinosaur, then you are better able to do something with it. My suggestion is self-regulate to know what it is so we're not defaulting to the same thing for every single situation. That's keeping us out of understanding our needs, meeting our needs, communicating yes. with other people. Yes. And then the leadership component is what you just described. I now need to understand what I got going on because I also work with other people and they may need their own support or I might need to, in order to be responsive and help and support, figure out, wait, what's going on here? Oh, they must think it's a dinosaur. I'm regulated. Let me help whatever the situation is. Right. But right. it can, it can absolutely be. There's a lot of stuff going on in organizations. It's the reason why I care about DI work. There are a lot of things going on that aren't great, not safe. And as a result of me helping people unpack, there's a lot of things that people immediately associate with safety, lack of safety. And someone harmed me that hasn't been unpacked because when they do, 
it actually isn't because someone did something. You just have it's in yes. you. Yes. 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 And yes. I think it's that the concept of like mutuality is important. Uh, mutual accountability to for the relationship, for what's happening in yourself so much that you can not throw up on people all the time or blame all the time. Right. Well, and and what is I love what you're saying because there's so many nuances to it, right? So if if we've had an exchange and I am very like fearful and activated, it would be I'm your boss. I could write a really email to you. I could copy my the HR and my boss and 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 I could I could this could be in your file. But yes. but but we are striving to be responsive, not reactive. That's yeah. part of leadership is to be responsive. So maybe I say in the moment, maybe I say it looks like you're having a really strong reaction to this and mm. I want to take a minute because I'm reacting to your reaction. Let's take yeah. a minute. Let's let's come back. Let's talk about this let's let's let I need to I need a minute to cool off I'm not gonna say you look upset you're not okay like I'm not okay let's take a minute we can come back and talk about it because the the truth is is that it would be very easy for me if I don't immediately react I could also then create a create a narrative Charmaine you know Charmaine is crazy she's she you tell her anything and she's she's the monster (laughs) it is so easy to create narratives about people and the work is to then go back and say what happened yesterday? Yeah. What happened? Because I don't, I don't know where it went wrong. And you get to then say for the last six months, I've been asking you about this and you didn't say anything. And then you come at me like I did something wrong. And, and then, then there's, and then I get to say to you, the way in which you came at me made it impossible for me to hear you. Yeah. Now there's room for not only, and let's talk about the dynamics. Let's talk about our racial backgrounds. Let's talk about our, our differences and intersectionality. And, and, and there's room for not only acknowledgement of these issues, but there's room for accountability. But without, yes. without self-regulation, without self-soothing, we are both liable to be fighting in the parking yes. lot. And neither yes. one of us got a job on Monday. Oh my goodness. <laughs> I literally just this past week, I was in a situation that I created. I was trying to do something. I don't know what I was trying to do, I guess, at the end of the day. And I was having an impact. I couldn't acknowledge it. And at some point I realized, oh, wait, this is your problem. But I couldn't understand what it was yet. I just, I knew it was mine. So I said that. I said, I'm going to, I need to figure out what's happening. Can I come back? Like, I got, we got to come back. And I did that. I had to do that. I got some coaching. And when I came back, I said, yo, okay, look, when this happened months ago, there was this experience that we had, but I didn't say anything. And I sat on it for months. And then other things piled onto it. I said, so when we came to this moment, which was somewhat related, I decided that this meant this, this, and that. Yeah. I said, but it was really because I did not understand my needs. I didn't express them. Then I held you accountable to them just unknowingly and then they surfaced and I blamed you for something that's my bad I was like I'm so sorry that was not yours to hold it wasn't because if I told you what my needs were I'm willing to bet we would have figured it out that's the kind of person you are I can't hold you responsible for something that I did and that happens that happens to me it happens to other people but this was delayed you know like it was a delayed realization so I could 
Go ahead. But that, but that's that's realistic. It is mm. not. I think that's part of the perfectionist trap that we mm. think I should have been able mm. to do it when it happened. Mm. No, that's not human. Mm. That's not humanity. Real life is that you don't realize stuff until three months later, or you're in the shower on a random Tuesday and you're like, oh. That was all me. And, and listen, there is no statute of limitations on, I'm having a conversation with one of my really good friends right now about some behaviors that she engaged in three years ago, three mm. years ago, three years ago. Oh. And I never told her because she couldn't tolerate it. And I couldn't tolerate her not tolerating it. And so I, 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 and now, now she's checking for it. But, but so there isn't a statute of limitations on this stuff. Yeah. It is okay. And it is actually, I, I think, a real ex expectation to know that you're not always going to know in the moment. It's great when you do, but it is, that's not how it, that's not how it works. <laughs> that's you said. It's great. Yes. No, mine was a combo of all the things. It was delayed. It was in the moment I needed to say, I don't know, but something, I'll be back. And then coming back. It, the coming back to me is, a, is the important That's everything. Part of yeah. That's everything. Yeah. And don't say, let's come back and talk about this. And three years from now, the person is like, how come we never went? Because that's then where the, 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 the person is, it fills in. You talk about childhood stuff. You talk about attachment mm. stuff. People fill in that with abandonment and rejection. And like yeah. all of that stuff gets, gets projected. And then you're like, why are they crying in staff meetings? That's why. And it's not yes. someone's job to navigate their childhood stuff, but to recognize that as a leader, going back full circle, as a mm -hmm. leader, you can navigate some of this by simply self-regulating. And, and on the front end, if you need time, saying you need time, and then making sure that you circle back on the back end so that you yes. are responsive, not reactive. Yes, yes. Let's keep actually going with this because I was thinking a good place to wrap up is on the tangible things that people can be doing, that white leaders can be doing. And honestly, if you're not a white leader and this is you, you could do this too, which is that regulating part. I've been really encouraging people, once you regulate, also explore the places that you're going to. I've been helping people like... Mm. Where are you going and what are you responding from? Because if you can address that origin point, you won't have to keep getting in the same place. Your responses will start to reduce. I don't think that the origins may go anywhere, but our reactivity to them can change if we know what they are. The, the, language, the language that, sorry to interrupt you. No, you go ahead. The, the language that, that my work partner and I talk about all the time is to be aware of your defaults. And, mm -hmm. and all of us default somewhere, right? Some people default to like, I, I default to humor. I make jokes inappropriately, like all the time. Some people default to, they get mad and they challenge. Some people default to silence and disconnection. Like everybody defaults somewhere. And listen, this is a big deal. Figure out, like to your point, figure out where you default. Because when you mm -hmm. default, you are no longer present. And you can't do any of this work if you are not present. If your default is avoidance, if your default is disconnection, if your default is getting on your phone, everybody has one. And to your point, if you don't know that, then you are going to miss when you check out. And, mm -hmm. and that and that adds to the to the to the comp to the problem because it creates just more room for narrative and and hurt feelings. Yeah. Yes. I think there could be another layer to that, too. And that feels like the therapist part. And I don't by any means do 
therapy with people, but I am asking people to be curious about like, so your default is this behavior, but what is it actually activating in you? So for me, very tangibly, I'll have these responses, but if I have an experience and it just funnels down to that like childhood experience of you're not important, I don't like that feeling. And then it makes me do these behaviors. But just because that action happened doesn't mean I'm not important. So then I got to speak to little Charmaine. Girl, you're important. It's fine. You regulate. And then you're present here. It's that takes a while. And so I won't I won't sit here and do therapy with people, but I ask them to be curious <laughs> about like, there's something else in what's there. What's driving that? What's what's the function of that? Right. What's yes. Right? Yes. Some people know yeah. what it is. And it's great. We can actually work with that because that's what's that's who's showing up over here. And that's who you can speak to so that you can stay connected. And if you don't know, that's okay too. You could still regulate, be curious about these behaviors. There's there's levels to the understanding, I think is what I'm saying. Um, so tangibly, yes, the nervous system stuff, the regulating, the defaults. And if you really want to go deep, go in there with those narratives. What are the things that you're saying to yourself? Right. What do you need to say to yourself in that moment so you can be present or take care of yourself? Right. Are there any other things that we would tangibly say to white leaders? I would say make sure that your team, that your team has people that you've identified as accountability partners. And, and so if you have a crew of people that you feel safe with, that's fine. But, but if they've been your crew for five years and, and this has not ever come up, then you need to pick some people who can, a person who can be your accountability partner. An accountability partner is someone who you decide together, you agree to be, and it can't be one way, right? This is a reciprocal relationship. So where you decide together to be honest and transparent with each other about all these things. And it doesn't have to be for problems, but you can go to your accountability partner and say, this exchange happened and, and I want to send an email saying F you and I hate all of you. And what do I do? And the accountability partner is going to be like, you need to pause. You need to pause. Mm. Right. Or the accountability partner will mm. say, what, what are you doing to self-regulate? My accountability partner, I don't even have to text him. I text him all the time and he'll be like, you need to not move, right? You need to stop. Don't, no emails, no email. And I will frequently be like, how about now? And he's, no, how about now? Uh, not five he's minutes, like, when you, no. When you stop asking, maybe. But, but, but what we have learned in our relationship is that he only needs a day. I need three days because it takes me that long to self-regulate. Yes. But, but I've learned from this. An yeah. accountability partners will yeah. say, you're, you're, no, you're missing some things. The accountability yeah. partner, I want to be very clear, it's not their job to educate. They're not yeah. going to be like, let me, because we can Google. You can find everything you need on Google. I, I don't need to tell you about the, the transatlantic slave trade. I don't need to tell you about the history of Palestine. I don't need to do any of that. But, but, but what I do need to do is tell you what you're not seeing about yourself. Yeah. So accountability partnerships are, are important. Mm. I think the other is that white leaderships often have leadership, often has tons of resources that they refuse to use. <laughs> right? <It's, laughs> and so, like, right? So you, 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 got, you got your board, you got your people, you got your... And maybe you don't want to go to people that, like, or you don't want them to see that you're making mistakes. But, like, yeah. you got this person and you got a therapist and you got a coach and you got all, why aren't you using the resources? Yeah. So yes. I, I think yes. it's worth taking stock of who your resources are and, and using them. Yeah. 
Yes. Yep. I, I think yeah. the other thing I would say is that a big part of quarterbacking is, is really being clear, first of all, that you are the quarterback. Yeah. And mm-hmm. you got to own it. You're, you're not a wide receiver. You're not, you're not, you're not a defensive end. You, I don't even know what that is. You are the quarterback. That last one, I know what that was. You extended you, beyond your acknowledgement. Right. I was, like, <laughs> I was like, let me just pull it back. I know what a wide receiver is. Stop talking with you. <laughs> Except that you are the quarterback and, and that you have, that you have to touch the ball and that you are, yeah. that you have impact and influence. And, and so what that means is that if you don't have certain skills, you need to learn them, then you have responsibility to learn them. But yeah. what it also means is that when you don't know what else to do, it is your job to ground yourself and the people around you in the mission and the values of the work you're doing. That will be incredibly helpful in figuring out how to do this. You don't have to have all the answers, but you can ground yourself in what are we doing here? Yeah. What is our job? What is our value system? What, are our, what is our mission? That will at least give you some room to pause and get yourself yeah. regulated until then. Yes. Yes. Yep. I I feel like the term coming to mind is using that power responsibly, quarterbacking responsibly. There's a way to do that. Sometimes people like that type of terminology. Like if you want to feel good about it, you are the quarterback, no matter what, there's, there's nothing you're going to do to change that. Unless you quit, then you won't be a quarterback and then, okay, another and one. Anyway, well. you're not a quarterback if you quit. Right. So you can use that responsibly. There are ways to do that. Yeah. Right. I, you know what? It's funny. I don't love football, but I, I have to watch it because my husband likes it. Yeah. And my favorite position in football is the kicker. It's my favorite position. Huh. And I have always said that if I played football, which obviously I do not, I would be the kicker because it seems like the best position, right? Like you sit on the bench until someone needs you to kick and then you go out there and you kick and then you sit back down. That's it. And sometimes people like will rush the kicker or whatever, but rarely, like it's a, such a, but, but the kicker has such a responsibility. Like you I know, can lose the game. It's so it's clutch, but 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 the kicker is the oftentimes when when the quarterback can't get can't get to the end, they can't score. It will be the kicker that does it. But that is the exception rather than the rule. Yeah. Really, the quarterback is the one. Despite my love for the kicker, the quarterback is the one who does who does most of the handling and gets and scoring. It gets yeah. it get throws to the score. If you're gonna do that you really do have to own it. And you have to figure out what your philosophy around quarterbacking is. And you have to really, to your point earlier, really shine a light, illuminate the things that you are struggling with. Because just like anything, you got to work on you. That is accountability. (laughs) Yes. Yes. Oh my goodness. Yes. All right. Well, I think this is a good place to stop. I we talked about so many things. I so am re- many things. I'm looking forward to watching it again, and because there's <laughs> some stuff in there that I know I just pinned. I thank you for a really great conversation. Things that were really great gems for leaders, white leaders. Things that they're thinking and feeling and doing, and lots of ways to mitigate or unpack and move into action understand self better. There's just so much in there. And I thank you for that. More of this is needed. It is. It's awesome. I, I think it's hard for people to hear. And I, and I, I don't know that until 
this this time period, people were even willing to have yeah. these conversations. So I'm super excited that you not only you invited me, but that you are interested and open in in navigating this discourse. Yes, absolutely. If people want to get in touch with you, what's the best way to do that? They can, they can, well, if they want to see what I'm doing, if they want to read any of my articles, if they're interested in me, they can go to my website, which is drwendyashley.com or wendyashley.com because I just added that fun domain name. Or they can email me, at, my, and my email information is on there, but it's drwendyashley at gmail.com. Oh, that. perfect. Perfect. Yes. I'm not taking any clients right now, but they can get in touch with me anyway. But you can look and see what's going on and you could say hi. And I have Perfect. an Instagram too. I'm at Dr. Wendy Ashley on on G- on on Instagram as well. Perfect. As well. If I'm not following you, I definitely will. Like today. Why? Uh, why? Why are we following each other? What's that about? I'm not sure. I'm not sure. <laughs> I'm just Life. trying to get in this marketing game. So just I'll be around. I okay. love it. If you need to get in touch with me, you can visit our website at livingunapologetically.com. Email handles are all on there. You have access to free resources. Shout out to guided meditations given to today's discussion. Uh, my book's on there, Bias Conscious Leadership. Yep. A framework for leading with action and accountability. If this was interesting to you, please share for sure. Have conversations with people. Talk to people in your network. Challenge each other. Support each other through the content that we're talking about. I think that's it. I hope to hear from you soon. And until next time, bye.